we start with the continuing fallout, the aftermath of the Texas school shootings. 19 children, two teachers shot dead at that school. And questions now mounting about how police responded to this active shooter situation. The most shocking revelation. 19 police officers were in the hallway outside that classroom and waited 47 minutes before they entered that classroom. Your children inside were texting and calling police, begging for help. Got Cash Heed standing by to discuss this. Now, first, have a listen to this. This is a CNN reporter uh, questioning Stephen McGraw, who's the director of Texas, the Texas Public Department of Public Safety. Have a listen to this exchange here. What efforts were the officers making to get inside that classroom? None at that time. The on-scene commander believed that it had transitioned from an active shooter to a barricaded subject. Why was this decision made not to go in and rescue these children? Again, you know, the on-scene commander considered it a barricaded subject and that there was time and there were no more children at risk. All right. Well, obviously, there were some terrible mistakes made in the police response to this situation. Let's discuss it now with my guest, Cash Heed, BC's former Solicitor General and Minister of Public Safety. I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Cash, thank you very much for coming on today. Good morning, Mike. Hey, Cash, when we hear some of the gut-wrenching details of this situation, especially 19 police officers in the hallway outside that classroom where the killing was going on, 47 minutes before they went in. What goes through your mind when you started hearing these details? A disgusting response, a response that's certainly not appropriate given the fact that we've dealt with this previously over the last 23 years and we've changed our tactics drastically in this. And I'll tell you, the person that was making that faulty decision needs to be held to account, Mike. I have never seen such a screwed up, response to a situation where young children are getting slaughtered in a classroom. They're on the phone, their own phones, phoning 911 and saying, have the police come in, come in. We've got a teacher that was trying to save their lives that lost her lives. It's yeah. unbelievable. It's, it's, I cannot fathom why someone that was there that has been trained to deal with these situations did not do what they were trained to do, what we expect them to do as responding police officers. And what are police officers trained to do in that precise situation? Like when you, when they believe there is an active shooter going on, lives are at risk, you don't wait, right? You got to go in there. Absolutely. Active yeah. shooters, you, you go in and you neutralize the actual shooter. Now, yeah. put this in contrast to what happened a week ago or a couple weeks ago in Buffalo, where the police, the first ones on scene, immediately went into that supermarket and they neutralized it. He gave up because he was overwhelmed. You don't stand in a hallway for, you know, an hour. 19 yeah. police officers, heavily armed, waiting for keys to open a door. This was an active shooter for the entire hour until they went in and neutralized that suspect. Speaking to Cash Heed, BC's former Solicitor General, about the police response at that Texas school. Let me play another clip here for you, Cash. Get your thoughts. This is Chris Oliveras, another spokesperson for the Texas Department of Public Safety, explaining the delays here, or trying to. Have a listen. Officers are making entry into this building. 
Uh, they do not know where the gunman is. Uh, they are hearing gunshots. They are they are receiving gunshots. At that point, if they if they proceeded any further, not knowing where this suspect was at, um, they could have been shot. They could have been killed. And at that point, that gunman would have the opportunity to kill other people inside that school. Well, I mean, they eventually did know where the gunman was. They knew that were they were he was in that classroom. They thought it was a, a barricaded situation that the active shooter phase of the emergency had ended. That's that's their explanation. But what jumped out at me there, Cash, was this officer's explanation. Well, police officers could have been killed. I mean, obviously, police officers' lives are on the line in a situation like that, too. But how does that factor in, like, the risk the risk to the life of the police officers? How does that factor into the decision-making like in a situation like this? Well, it always factors in. But let me tell you something, Mike. We pay our police officers. We train our police officers. We equip our police officers. And we expect them to respond to save our children in active shooter situations. That is the bottom line. And police officers are sworn to do that. And most of them go in and do that. That's why I just... I cannot fathom why the decision was made not to confront the suspect. It just, Mike, I've talked to several police officers uh, since this particular incident, and you recall in Columbine 23 years ago, and I vividly recall this because I was part of changing the policy in the Vancouver Police Department and ensuring that we had the appropriate training. Standing 10 feet away from two officers was a student that was shot, and the officers did not go in and pull him away from the doorway, and he died in front of that. Since Columbine, we said this would never happen again. And guess what? It happened here in, uh, in Texas. You know, Sandy Hook uh, back in uh, 2012 uh, was a, a bit of a different situation. But in this one, I just don't understand why the officer, and my understanding, the incident commander has over three decades of police service, made the decision to let the children die in the hands of this person and yeah. not go in and confront him. Yeah, it is absolutely tragic, and there are many questions that are being asked, I think rightly so. Cash, in the aftermath of this event, of course, there is a renewed debate in America and also on our side of the border in Canada, too, about gun control. And if you take a look at the situation in the United States, they have much laxer gun laws than we do here in Canada. You wrote a really interesting and excellent opinion column on this issue for the Vancouver Sun, which I encourage listeners to check out. Let me play some more sound for you to get your thoughts on this matter. So have a listen to this. Now, you're going to hear three Republican senators here asked about gun control in the aftermath of the Texas school shooting. You'll have Marco Rubio, Lindsey Graham, Ted Cruz. These are the Republican senior senators. Have a listen to what they say here. I'll get your thoughts. The truth of the matter is these people are going to commit these horrifying crimes, whether they have to use another weapon to do it with. They're going to figure out a way to do it. I can't assure the American people there's any law we can pass to stop this shooting. You know, inevitably, when there's a murder of this kind, uh, you see politicians try to, try to politicize it. Uh, you see Democrats and a lot of folks in the media whose immediate solution is to try to restrict uh, the constitutional rights of law-abiding citizens. Okay, so you heard Marco Rubio saying, well, you know, these shooters, these tragedies are going to happen anyway. If they, even if they can't get a gun, they'll, they'll find some other weapon to kill people. What do you think of that? 
No, absolutely do not agree with that. Matter of fact, two other countries that have made remarkable uh, success in dealing with these situations is the UK and Australia, where in fact they had mass shootings. They had stricter gun control, which is absolutely required in these circumstances, and they were able to reduce this type of behavior. We have to ask ourselves why in the United States with this particular attitude that's woven into the politics and culture has uh, uh, over 40 incidents have occurred in the United States so far this year. We're not even halfway through the year involving uh, kindergarten to grade 12 colleges and universities. And it is absolutely terrible, the, the lack, the perilous of this political system that allows this to continue to happen with our youth. Hey, welcome back to the show. We continue to talk about the aftermath of the Texas school shootings. My guest, Cash Heed, BC's former Solicitor General. What do you think about those police officers who failed to storm that classroom for 47 minutes waiting in the hallway while those kids were pleading for help inside? Do you think they should be fired, charged, disciplined in any way? Phone lines are open, 604-280-9898, star 9898 in your cell. Don in Vancouver. Hi, Don, go ahead. Hi, I'm just listening to your show today and, you know, it just uh, stuck a nerve with me. So I'm a police officer and uh, for us, it's always if there's an active shooter and he's taking down kids, you're, you're going in. My wife knows that. My children know that, that if uh, if that happens in the lower mainland, the police officers are coming in. Uh, now, it, now, the situation where the fellow was barricading the room it, I don't know the exact situation that happened there. I wasn't. I haven't been listening to the radio uh, recently. Uh, but if he's if he's barricading the room and there's nobody else getting hurt, then at that point, yeah, I would back off and then just contain him. That's that's what we're trained to do. Okay, Kashid, what do you think of that? Uh, Don is correct that uh, we go in and neutralize the individual, but in these circumstances, we had uh, a significant amount of information indicating the shooter was still active. We had kids phoning 911. Uh, you could hear the loud bangs while they were in the hallway. So again, oh. uh, it's criminal conduct as far as I'm concerned. If you look at the criminal negligence in the United States with that commanding officer, it, their, t- you know, their conduct ignored an obvious risk and disregarded the life and safety of others. There's a clear definition under the federal penal code saying this officer actually committed a criminal offense, in my humble opinion. Let's go to Rob on the line in Kamloops. Hi, Rob. Go ahead. Yeah, hi. Um, First off, yeah, they should be held accountable, the police officers, for especially for the fact they weren't the ones who charged in. The Border Patrol agents driving by went in and neutralized the problem. And second, it's a gun-free zone. Nobody in that area had a firearm. And that's probably why the shooter went in. It's because he knew he wouldn't get any retaliation in that area. Anywhere else in Texas, he would have got shot by the person beside him. Okay, thank you for that. Well, we often hear, Kosh, after incidents like this that the answer to to some people is not fewer guns, but you need more guns. You need to arm the teachers. You need to arm the librarians. You, you need to arm the, the custodians and the janitors. What do you think of that argument? Well, if that uh, theory actually worked, uh, the United States would be the safest place in the world because uh, 90 people per 100 have a gun in the United States. Let's go to Cindy on the line in Delta. Hi, Cindy. What do you think? Hi, I'd like to say that I think, yeah, they all should be fired. 
I mean, if you were watching your kid try to be abducted, uh, abducted from, like, the sidewalk, would you just let them get them in the car, or would you actually try to do something? These kids were phoning 911. It's our job as responders and parents and... You know, people were getting, I heard people, parents were getting tased for trying to get in there and get their kids. I mean, there's something terribly wrong here. Yeah, no, I agree with, I agree with you. There's something wrong. Rob and Delta. Hi, Rob. Go ahead. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I think uh, the police chief should step down. The leaders of the squad that uh, hide away uh, should uh, be fired and possibly charged. But this situation will continue to happen as long as America has the antiquated gun laws uh, that were drafted in the time of muskets. It took about a minute and a half to reload. Uh, now you have weapons of war uh, freely available to uh, anybody who's got the money. Thank you, Rob. Let's squeeze one more call in. Chris on the line in Vancouver. Hi, Chris. Go ahead. you got 30 seconds here, okay? Hey, guys. Yeah, I'll be quick. You know, first off, let's let the the investigation finish in the U.S. and before we start convicting people. And secondly, let's stop putting the U.S. problems in Canada. It's not the same here, gun wise. People like uh, uh, Trudeau and these government guys that want to take all the guns away need to focus on the problem. The problem in, in Canada, specifically Vancouver, is gangs. Get okay, let me, gangs. Let, me get ca- let me get Cash's quick response to that, Cash. Do you think the gun laws are adequate in Canada right now, the way they are? No, I think they need to be tightened. I'm an unyielding proponent of gun control, and I can tell you, based on the discussion with the last caller, is the reason why we've had such a predominance of gang violence in Vancouver over the last 15, 20 years is the easy access to firearms. In the United States, there's such easy access to your firearm or obtaining a firearm, and that is the problem. All right, welcome back. Here we go now with Labatt's Brewery. These guys are the king of the hill in Canada when it comes to the beer business, the largest brewer in the country, and they make a fortune. They are rolling in profits. It's owned by a multinational company, by the way. You know, they're owned by Anheuser-Busch, which is the largest beer conglomerate in the world, their revenue last year, $54 billion U.S. That's how much they made. So here's the question. Why? Why did Canadian taxpayers pay $250,000 to replace a boiler in one of Labatt's breweries? Are you kidding me? This is a climate change grant that was given to Labatt's to replace their diesel-burning boiler at their brewery in St. John's, Newfoundland. They switched it over to a propane uh, boiler, cleaner burning. Canadian taxpayers on the hook for it. (laughs) Are you kidding me, man? They're making so much profit. Why are Canadian taxpayers paying for this? Does this sound familiar? Remember Loblaws a few years ago? Big grocery store chain in Canada. Taxpayers paid $12 million to install low-emission refrigerators in their stores. $12 million. Here's a little sound of how that all went down. Loblaws, have a listen. 
Oblaw applied to a $450 million federal fund to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and was awarded $12 million. The optics say critics aren't great. Think of all the small grocery stores and uh, dépanneurs across this country uh, that could use that help getting their fridges fixed. And we give it to Galen West. And I'm okay, as Charlie Angus there at the end, the NDP MP for Timmins. Let's discuss with my guest, Chris Sims, Canadian Taxpayers Federation. She's been blowing the whistle on this one for a long time. Hey, Kim? Hey, Chris, thanks for having Chris, us. Chris, thank you for coming on. Okay, Chris. When you hear this kind of stuff, I mean, this kind of stuff just drives people nuts, and I know it does for you, too. What goes through your mind? Well, I just think about the people who are phoning the CTF now in higher and higher numbers every week who can't afford to get to work. Like, they're completely stressed out. Um, the, because of the gas price being so high and the gas taxes being so high, especially here in B.C., we're hearing from people who can't put their kids in sporting events that they've been promising them. Like, these, these are real families that are being affected by everyday needs being so expensive. And then we have the federal government turning around and handing taxpayer dollars to some of the wealthiest corporations on planet Earth. Yeah. So, yeah, we've got Anheuser-Busch or Labatt here in Canada. We've got, as you mentioned, Loblaws getting $12 bucks for bloody refrigerators. And don't forget, we had Ford Motor Company, one of the most you know, lucrative companies on planet Earth, being given millions of dollars uh, for a new Ford uh, vehicle plant. I mean, these, these corporations do not need taxpayers' money. If the product they're creating is so excellent, let the market decide what's gonna, how they're going to be reimbursed for it. They should not be hitting up taxpayers for grants. And this is 250 grand. So yeah. on the small, it's a smaller scale of things compared to the $12 million for refrigerators. But again, this is just the stuff we know about. Uh, I first saw this in Black Locks Reporter, which is an outstanding independent journalism group in Ottawa. I know yeah. you've spoken with them yourself on your show. These are just the ones we find out about. And there's some of the things we highlight in our Teddy Waste Awards every year. And people need to notice that corporate welfare is still alive and well here in Canada. Yeah, and this has been confirmed now by the federal government that this grant went to went to Labatt's to buy oh, yeah. them a new new uh, boiler. Environment Minister Stephen Gilbo has put out a statement here. Investments in climate action initiatives like this show the government of Canada's commitment to fighting climate change. So they say, this, look, this is good for the planet. This is good for the environment because these boiler, this boiler they bought, the Canadian taxpayers bought, is going to be cleaner burning. W well, what do you think of that justification? Get Labatt to pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> sure, everybody wants a cleaner environment. That's fine. Get the multi-million dollar, billion dollar wealthy corporation to pay for it. And also to that point, there are lots of companies that help reduce emissions that don't go hat in hand to the government. There are companies, for example, that are capturing CO2 out of the air as an escaped element so it doesn't go to waste and repurposing it to things like pharmaceuticals, fertilizer, makeup, you name it, without costing the government anything. So it's just inexcusable for this company to turn around and hit up the government for taxpayers' money and for us to give it to them. It reminds us of what happened back with Air Canada, right? They hit yeah. up taxpayers for money and gave their C-suite huge bonuses. This is just not acceptable. And again, we point the finger at government here because they like to crow about how uh, many experts they employ in their bureaucracy and their departments are top-notch. This is not their first rodeo. They know how to look at a grant application. They're adults. They're paid six figures. They should be able to make logical decisions. Does this company really need our help? No, okay. they don't. Okay, let's listen to the government uh, 
explaining why this program, they think it, it's a, a good one. So this goes back to the Loblaws grant to this grocery store chain, $12 million for new low emission refrigerators in their stores. Now you'll hear Catherine McKenna here, the former environment minister, explaining why this is a good investment for taxpayers. Have a listen. We have a climate plan that works with everyone. It's a competitive process. Uh, Loblaw was one of the 50 winners because they can get the most significant emission reductions. But let's be clear, this project actually is going to make a difference by changing how they cool their products. It's the equivalent of taking 50,000 vehicles off the road every single year. Okay, so they go to these low-emission refrigerators, and it's the equivalent of taking thousands of vehicles off the road. This is a good thing. It's good value for money for taxpayers and for the for the planet. But I guess you're saying, Chris, that, okay, these big profitable companies should pay for it themselves. What if they don't want to pay for it? Like, should the government force them to do it? No, the government should get out of the way and get these corporations to do the right thing through encouragement if they want to. But you know what? We live in a system where marketing matters. So just imagine the kind of marketing that Loblaws could have done by saying, you know what? We took some of our enormous profits and we put it into low emission refrigerators because we want to help save the planet. Think of the green marketing and the self-promotion they could have done taxpayer free. If they want to spend their own money doing that and they want to promote themselves as great green corporate citizens, fill your boots. But if I take it from taxpayers, if I was sitting in the Loblaws boardroom and all I cared about was the bottom line and how much profit we're making, I might look at a suggestion like that and say, 12 million bucks for new refrigerators when we've got refrigerators that are working fine now. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think we're going to get $12 million worth of PR out of that. Forget it. You which, know, is like, why, it which is why the yeah. buck stops with the government. This is the corporations are going to ask. It's like a kid asking for too much candy, right? Right before bedtime. They're going to ask. It's up to you as a responsible government, accountable government, to say no. So I would ask to put it this way. So for folks who can barely afford to get to work right now, uh, largely because of taxes, also because of the actual price of, of fuel, because of what's happening overseas, for those of you who are struggling to fill up your minivan, who are telling your kids that you can't afford soccer this summer, is this what you paid for? Do you yeah, want your, yeah. your money going to Labatt? Do you want your money going to Loblaws? No? Well, then pick up the phone and tell your member of parliament that. Okay, what do you think about the, you know, these are big, profitable companies, as you mentioned. How much of this is going on? Like, we've been hearing about corporate welfare in Canada for a long, long time. You know, often people will point the finger at the oil and gas sector. Oh, look at all the subsidies they get there. Do you, do you, uh, do you think that's a, a subsidy that should be phased out, oil and we gas? opposed to all corporate welfare. We don't care what sector it is. On the other hand, we also don't want governments standing in the way and strangling the private development of natural resources, because otherwise, one, a company will pack up and leave, as we saw with Kinder Morgan, and two, because we still need some of the services and the stuff that that company was otherwise providing, taxpayers will be on the hook for it, which is now why it's called Trans Mountain and we're left holding the bag. So yes, we don't want corporate welfare going to any company, including oil and gas companies. But on the other hand, we also don't want them strangling them needlessly. So yeah, this is a major problem. Corporations should be able to stand on their own two feet. Fifth show.
All right. Talking climate change grants to big profitable corporations in Canada. Labatt's Brewing, the latest to get some of your money here, $250,000 to buy them a new low emission boiler for one of their breweries. Chris Sims is with me. Let's go right to your phone calls. We have lots of them. John in the North Shore. Hey, John. Hey, how are you? Uh, you know, it drives me crazy when all these big corporations are getting nothing and us little companies are we're, are getting everything and we're getting nothing. Like, my fuel bill right now for my business is up between 2500 and three grand a month. Up, mm-hmm. And I can't pass it on to my customers. I just, I just morally can't do that because, you know, look at the food prices. I mean, I just can't do it. Okay, thank you, John. Uh, this is a good illustration, Chris, of what you're speaking about before. Your thoughts? Yes, exactly. Somebody like, like your caller who can barely afford to keep his vehicles running, and they're turning around and handing money hand over fist to massive corporations. Is this helping anybody? Is this helping but, the environment? It's a but, waste. But you're not saying they should give the money to him instead. No, we're <laughs> saying that they should reduce the gas taxes. No, seriously, reduce the gas taxes, quit strangling the bloody supply, become energy independent again in Canada so that that yeah. guy can afford the fuel bills. Let's go to Jay and Chilliwack. Hi, Jay, go ahead. Hey, hey, I Hi. totally disagree with them handing out money to these corporations, but isn't there not a way of making environmental laws where if they do replace a boiler, they can say you have to upgrade it to a, a, a more environmentally friendly boiler or fridges or whatever? Chris. They already have rules like that across Canada and in different in different districts. What we're talking about here is that just the blatant corporate welfare being handed out. Yeah, so you're saying you know you don't object to regulations that would require cleaning, burning, cleaner burning infrastructure. Yes, but we have to be careful on what they're calling yeah. cleaner and if it's actually good for the environment, if it's better energy use, all of that yeah. stuff. You got to read the fine print on these things yeah. for sure. Rick and Port Moody. Hi, Rick. Go ahead. Hey, good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Uh, you're one of my favorite guests that Mike has on. I usually agree with you, and this one I'm uh, sitting on the fence here. I, I really think what this highlights is, a, is the problem with what the government does with uh, offering opportunities for small businesses to, or help small businesses to take advantage of this. These big corporations, you know, Labatt's or, or Loblaws, they, they all have boardrooms full of people that, that that's their specific job is to look to see where there's some free money. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I think if you'd look at the, at the tax receipts, uh, most of the people that have bought electric vehicles, certainly the high-end ones, that have all taken advantage of the uh, of the rebates that were there. An argument could be made that the majority of those are, you know, the equivalent of Labatt's and um, and Loblaws. So we like to kind of focus on big business, but you know, when it comes into our own personal our, our personal zone, we kind of you know don't want to touch there. It, it's happening everywhere. You know, they're trying to do something with the environment and. Okay. Like I said, I, this isn't such a big one for me. I mean, it's annoying and it's frustrating, uh, but um, there are okay, bigger, thank, more important fish to fry than uh, 200. Thank, th- thank you, Rick. I, I guess, you know, w- one of the ways the government justifies this, Chris, is they will say, well, look, this is a competitive process. I mean, people, you apply for these grants, and then there, there are bureaucrats somewhere that are taking a look at the applications and weighing what would be the best bang for the taxpayers dollar and that's why they gave 12 million bucks to Loblaws because there's because there's well there's so absurd stop giving taxpayers money to corporations like we just finished doing the Teddy Waste Awards for example and you were mentioning corporate welfare um the the province of Quebec I mean they're on steroids when it comes to corporate welfare they give 380 million dollars to Airbus 
And what uh-huh. was Airbus formerly known as? The Bombardier C-Series plane that they already gave a billion dollars to. They sunk hundreds of millions more dollars into it. Like, this is just a tiny tip of the iceberg. This Let's idea go. of giving this back to Labatt of a quarter million dollars is a tiny example. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's, it is smaller on the wider scale of things, for sure. It is the principle of it, though. It is. Paul and Port Moody. Hi, Paul. Go ahead. Yeah, thanks for it. It is, it is absolutely laughable. You're talking about, you know, a company that, you know, every three months are making all this profit, and yet the government cannot uh, give uh, money to these food banks to just have fridges so that they can hold and freeze food. But they will give $12 million to a company that makes every three months like millions of dollars of profit as well as throw, throw away food. Just like because yeah. they, you know, it, it's absolutely insane. Well, and, and especially... Thank you for the call. I mean, especially when you take a look at a multinational corporation like Anheuser-Busch, when their profits are actually going up. Forget about oh, yeah. the pan- the pandemic. They made more money during the pandemic. Probably more people drinking at home. Yeah, more people so, staying home, drinking at home. Um, yeah. Your caller makes a great and sad point about the food banks. Brutal. Yeah. If yeah. they really want to help... Start aiming their attention at those sorts of issues. I was speaking with a reporter up in Prince George. They've seen a 30% increase in food bank demand up there. Let's squeeze in one more. Richard in Vancouver. Richard, 20 seconds. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, well, Chris kind of stole my thunder about Bombardier, but what I'd like to talk about is the fact that a lot of people don't realize there's a symbiotic uh, relationship between big corporations and government because Mm -hmm. when government gives out the subsidies, they also get political contributions in terms of yeah. election time from those big corporations. And all this happens both not on the federal, but uh, provincial and municipal. And guess Thank who's going to benefit a lot by developer uh, contributions in the next civic election? Thank you, Richard. I'm glad you got through to make that point. Chris, thank you for coming on today. Thanks for having us. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the nice weather returning, hopefully, finally. And with the warmer temperatures, a lot of guys, guys who ride motorcycles, uh, getting out on their bikes for sure. Now, here is the question. Are loud motorcycles a problem for you in your neighborhood? I had a buddy of mine once who rode a Harley, and it was a loud bike. And he said he liked it that way because he felt it was a safety issue. People could hear him coming, other drivers who might not see him on his motorcycle, but they could sure hear him. The saying is, loud pipes save lives. Have a listen to this here now. This is Tony Sanfilippo. He rides a Harley, and here he is explaining this to the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel newspaper. I know log pipes off because I got cut off on the freeway last week. A woman riding along next to me in the right lane. I wrapped the pipes and that made her jump up and look and then she moved back over. She wouldn't, didn't even know I was there until I flipped my throttle. This isn't an obnoxious sounding bike, but I can make it bark if I want to. And I think most people think that, that loud pipes save lives. The argument is how loud is loud. I can sympathize with people that think bikes are too loud. You got some people that want to be noticed and, and they will be noticed, but they'll be noticed by the wrong people. Not the, not the cute girl standing on the corner. It's going to be the sheriff and the squad car that's going to notice them. And they're the ones that cause the problems for the rest of us. Most bikers like to hear their motor. It's a sweet sound. You don't see a radio on my bike. I'd rather listen to my motor than the radio. 
Okay, so he says that loud pipes save lives, but there are laws against overly loud motorcycles or vehicles, especially if they've been modified to be louder. Let's discuss now with my guest, Sergeant Sanjay Kumar from the New Westminster Police Department. Sergeant Kumar, thank you very much for coming on today. Good morning. Thank you. I've been checking out your social media the last few days, and you've been pointing out to the people of New Westminster that loud vehicles can be in violation of the Motor Vehicle Act. Can you tell me what the law is around this? Yeah, so vehicles over uh, over a certain amount of decibels, so for, uh, for cars it's about 83, and for motorcycles it's about 91, can be issued violation tickets. Um, I want to make it clear, though, our... our our post initially was to garner some attention around the issue. Um, loud vehicles in general are a problem in New West. We have to appreciate the people that live in the city, uh, the shift workers, um, uh, people that need to rest in the day. Uh, so that was the purpose of of the release or or of our post, which is to garner some attention. I understand that it kind of took a uh, – I, I think it accomplished its purpose that a lot of people are talking yeah. about it. Um yeah. But that, that was the primary reason for our post. Yeah, I'm taking a look at some of the comments to the post. And, yeah, some people were critical of the New West police for focusing on this, saying, oh, this is, looks like a, a cash grab by the police, or aren't there more uh, pressing issues the police should be concerned about other than loud vehicles or loud bikes? What, what do you say to that? Yeah, just like any other police department here, we have frontline officers that investigate all types of uh, issues and files in the city. Um, we also have a traffic unit that's dedicated to handling traffic complaints, heading or attending to uh, motor vehicle accidents, uh, enforcing speed. Uh, but this also does fall in that realm. So we just, uh, again, we're just asking uh, vehicles uh, to be mindful of the noise. We're, we're not taking any extra additional measures, but just understand, the public needs to understand that this, this is a ticketable offense. We're not actively yeah. out there searching for individuals like that, but but just to keep this in the back of their minds. How much is the fine if you're caught for excessive noise on a bike or, or a, any vehicle? Uh, a provincial violation ticket can cost about $109. Um, but again, like it, it's not like we're actively going out at seeking for these, uh, these loud vehicles. Um, but if, if, if our residents within the city do, do make this an issue, uh, we're definitely going to back them up and support it and, and, and try to enforce something. Yeah, sure. I mean, do you get complaints about it? I mean, I get comments from listeners i get emails now and then from people is why don't you do something on this because i'm sick and tired of these loud motorcycles whipping up and down my street yeah there, there have been some definitely uh yeah, emails and letters to the mayor and the police board here and then that's where this is stemming from but again i just want to mention i just want to make it clear that uh the reason behind this is that we we're not actively looking for these vehicles we're, we're like we don't have a, a dedicated unit heading out there uh, enforcing loud vehicles. If a member comes across it, it'll be up to that officer's discretion to talk to that individual, yeah. uh, or to issue them, or, or to issue them violation ticket. But it what comes do you think? Also, officer discretion. What do you think of that argument that loud pipes save lives? So if your motorcycle is loud, that that makes you safer. That it allows a driver who might not see you on a bike, but they can sure hear you coming. Do you buy that? Buy that argument? I, I can comment that a, a lot of our members actually do have motorcycles uh, within within our department. I also have some friends, uh, and I, I understand where that argument is coming from, but I think what riders also need to appreciate that the uh, motor, uh, motorcycle exhausts 
it, it's it's already it's are it's already loud. Um, I yeah. think they reach about ninety one decibels. So uh, ninety one decibels. So uh, I had a member compare that to a, a rock concert. So understand that I know that one article or that one report that you mentioned before the show started here that riding on the freeway. Uh, he had to kind of rev his engine to get that driver's attention. But understand that they're, New Westminster isn't, isn't a freeway. They're, they're, for the most part, quiet residential streets with, with free-flowing traffic. Uh, so that will garner the attention. A, a regular-sounding bike will garner the attention of the average citizen. What, what about a bike that's been modified? Like I, I've read about people who will put new pipes on a bike that are de- to deliberately make them louder. Is that illegal? Uh, it, if it goes over 91 decibels, my belief is that it is, yes. Yeah. Uh, I can't comment specifically if modifying a bike um, uh, to make it louder is, is illegal or not. Again, if it goes over that, that decibel range, my, my yeah. belief is that, yes, it would be. Do you guys write a lot of tickets for this? Like, do you, Have you written any tickets for loud motorcycles or loud vehicles? Not specifically, and that's that's the point I'm trying to get across here, is that we're not yeah. out there actively hunting for this. But yeah. if it does come across, and uh, it is quite loud, uh, and again, like I think we're talking about quite loud here, but again, yeah. if, if it is loud, we are definitely going to stop and talk to those folks for sure. And again, issuing a violation ticket will be up to the officer. Thanks for coming on. No worries. Thanks for having me. Okay, I appreciate it. Sergeant Sanjay Kumar there, New Westminster Police Department, and their recent post on Facebook just reminding people about the law around loud vehicles. Excessive noise from your vehicle could result in fines or an order for the vehicle to be repaired. Okay, let's check in with Scott Schantz now. Scott is the producer of this show, and he rides motorcycle. Hey, Scott. Hey, how's it going? It's going great, Scott. So what kind of bikes you got? So I sold it at the beginning of the pandemic, but I'm on the hunt for another one. I have a Triumph Bonneville. Uh, it's very similar to a Harley-Davidson. It's a V-twin engine, makes the same sort of noise, and uh, at times can be considered kind of loud. Okay, so you do you think that loud pipes save lives. A- absolutely, I think that. And to his I think all the points that he's making that they're already loud like that's that's correct. But anyone who r- who has ridden a motorcycle or rides a motorcycle knows that you need to take every precaution that you can and you never want to just uh, you you don't assume that that person sees you or hears you. You go over and above to make sure that they see you and hear you. They might have their stereo up or they might be distracted or have kids in the car or be in a conversation or any of these things. So any sort of little edge that you can give yourself as a motorcyclist, I think you want to do that. And like we've discussed, I don't think it has to be obnoxious, but I do. Th- I definitely would feel safer on a bike that's louder. Okay. Now, this is quite an interesting debate because there are a lot of people who agree with you that a loud motorcycle is safer. And then there are others who will argue, no, 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 this is just a myth there have been studies on accident rates involving the decibel levels of bikes, and this is just an excuse for guys to rev their engines up and down the street. But it, it, like in your experience, like we heard in that clip we played from a guy who said, look, I've experienced this myself. I've seen vehicles potentially going to cut me off because they didn't see me. But I rev the, the oh, throttle yeah. on my bike, and it, it got their attention. Has that happened to you? Yes, uh, abs- absolutely it happens. Like I wouldn't say on a daily basis, but it's very regular. And to his point, like your hand is already 
on the throttle. It's it's your yeah. first reaction to just do that. And sometimes it's just to get, you know, if you're on the motorcycle, you want to get out of the way of the car as fast as you can. And then as soon as you hit the throttle, it makes the bike loud. I mean, yeah. I, I also will say, Mike, I... I would be lying if I told you that I didn't also like the loud sound. I mean, oh, yeah. I'm in that category as well, but I definitely feel safer for sure. All right. Talking loud motorcycles do loud pipes save lives right to your phone calls. Gary in New West. Hi, Gary. What do you think? Um, loud pipes don't save lives. Skill and experience saves lives. And um, your producer uh, doesn't have a V-twin Triumph. He has a parallel twin Triumph. And all these guys riding around making a pile of racket, thinking that their loud lives, their loud pipes are going to save their life, um, probably going to get clobbered. You need to have eyes in the back of your head, and if you want to be loud, get a really loud horn. That's pretty much all. Okay, Gary, thank you for that. Let's go to Marion in White Rock. Hi, Marion, what do you think? Oh, hi, Mike. I live uh, very close to Marine Drive here in White Rock, and they go up and down here every weekend if it's sunny in the hundreds. The noise is absolutely deafening. We can't open our windows in the summer. We pay the taxes here, and, you know, and it's very slow, so it's not like they're afraid of somebody running over them. It's just it's exciting for them to make all this loud noise, and it's, it's horrible for all the thousands of us that live along here. Okay, would you like to see the police crack down on it? I so wish. I, I've never seen the police give them a ticket, and I yeah. so wish the police here would do what the police in New West are doing, because okay. honestly, it's, it is really awful. Marion, thank you for the call. we got lots of calls here on this one. Cam in Richmond. Hi, Cam, go ahead. Uh, the first guy was right on. Uh, the second lady in White Rock, I feel her pain, but you know what? She lives in White Rock. Everyone wants to visit it, too, and the police do give tickets for things like that. They sit at the end of the the road. Uh, live. The louder the pipe is not going to work. Half these things have got no baffles in them. That shouldn't be allowed. But you know what? A Tesla might sneak up and kill you. So the first guy was right, totally. Okay, thank you for the call. Okay, we've got three calls so far, all of them against the loud bikes. Let's go to George in Abbotsford. Hi, George. What do you think? When I see Mike for 50 years, you'll go up. And I started with small bikes, and now I've got a large, large bike for the last 15 years. Skill set, yes. Visibility on the road. Seldom do you see the large piped bikes, or the loud ones. I've never seen one of them wear a high-visibility neon vest. And there's mm. some beautiful neon vests like the RCMP wear that makes me more visible on the road as well as adding extra lights on the front of my bike to make me like these LED lights. It, all mm. the loud pipes do, and they'll tell you, it feeds their testosterone. Okay, okay. Okay, George, thank you for calling. You were breaking up a little bit there, but I think I got your point, especially the last part there about the testosterone. Keep phoning me on this one. 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 on your cell. Tom in North Van. Hi, Tom. What do you think? Yeah, good morning. Um, after 58 years of riding motorcycles I, and a present owner of three bikes, I can tell you that what works for me is super loud horns. I have modified all my motorcycles to have aftermarket horns because mm -hmm. the stock factory horns from the manufacturer are 
uh, a bit worse than an asthmatic duck <laughs> and completely useless. So Transport Canada needs to get their act together, uh, improve the safety of motorcycle design, and thank you for having me on. Hey, Tom, thanks for calling in. Let me ask you this. Uh, I've heard people say, I, they say, well, why don't you just get a loud horn like you just mentioned? And people will say, well, my hand is already on the throttle. So if someone's going to cut me off on a highway, I don't want to have to, you know, move my hand to, to beep the horn. I just I just turn the throttle. My, my hand's already on the throttle. Does that make a quicker response? What do you think of that argument? Uh, it's a totally valid argument. And again, Transport Canada can step in and enforce, first of all, create, then enforce regulations so that horn activation isn't by some hard-to-find useless button on the left handlebar. Yeah. It's a large donut grip at the base of your hand that you can activate in less than a quarter second by moving your hand in the direction of the handlebar. We don't have that. I've thought of patenting it, but what the heck, hmm. that's not going to make any money. Okay. Uh, okay, Tom, thank you for a great call. Appreciate it. Catherine on the line in Kamloops. Hi, Catherine. What do you think? Hi, yes. Um, as far as noise level and everything else, I live on a rural road, which is partially paved about three-quarters of the way down, yeah. and it's a, it's a connection between uh, Kamloops area and the old Merritt Highway. Mm-hmm. Bikers love it. It's windy, it's long, it goes a long ways and everything else, and it's one of those ones where you see just teams of motorcyclists going down on the weekend. And the noise. Oh, God, oh. the noise. Oh, does it drive you crazy? Oh, I mean, work. I'm quiet out here. I'm extremely yeah. quiet out here. And you can hear them coming when they start about three miles down the road. <laughs> That's how loud they can be. Yeah, yeah. Okay, would you like to see the police come out and give them a ticket? Oh, there's no cops out here. No, there's no cops. <laughs> this no, is a rural road. Yeah, no, there's no cops. Catherine, thank you very much for calling it. John and Duncan. John, 30 seconds. Got to go quick. Yeah, hi there. No, loud, loud pipes definitely don't save lives. I've been riding bikes since I was 14. I just turned 70. You don't normally hear the bike coming up on you. You hear it after it's past you because you're behind that sound wave. And they, the first guy nailed it. He was absolutely right. You, a good horn, and you got to ride as if you're invisible and everybody around you is blind. You take Thank care you. of yourself. 